Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence and Holy Family in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My name is Dan Rhoda, and with me I have Father Eli Gieske. How are you doing today, Father Eli? Good. Good. Yeah, things are things are well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a uh, it's very cold outside. Yeah. Negative thirty three. It feels like negative thirty three. Yeah. Like actual temperature was negative fifteen when I got here at about eight forty five this morning. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's very it's very cold outside and it's very stinky inside. Yeah. We've got some kind of problem with. We don't know what yet. We're trying to figure out what the smell is in, in certain parts of the building. But mm-hmm. yeah. at, at least it's not in the church. So yeah. if it does continue over the weekend. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I hope it doesn't. It smells like it smells like a, like vinegar, but worse. Yeah. And some places smell like feet. Yeah. Like sweaty feet. So welcome to St. Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we we might have to get like a bunch of Febreze and just yeah, yeah, if yeah. it if it comes to this weekend, but we'll see. Hopefully, it stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, it's ordinary time. Yeah, it'll be the, the third Sunday th- of ordinary yeah. time coming up. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, things are uh, things are not necessarily uh. Super quiet, but but we're um, we're getting to the point where uh, a lot of things are starting to happen. Uh, you know, next week starts the renovation at St. Lawrence. Yeah. So uh, that'll be cool to to get some. You know, people will see a difference. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah. That'll be like, oh, something's happening. Yeah, and so uh, with that, there's gonna be no masses or adoration uh, at St. Lawrence or daily masses yeah. for the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, all the daily masses will be at Holy Family, um, but there will just be no adoration. Right. So, um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, the next week faith formation is going to be at St. James. Yep. Yeah. So, so we're, we do that about once a month. So next, next, uh, Wednesday, Karen's actually gone. So you can pray for her. She'll be on retreat. Um, youth minister, uh, faith formation director retreat. I'm not sure what they call it, but, um, so we will be down at St. James. We'll start with Mass, and then uh, we'll have class after that. So once once in a while we go to St. James, a lot of times we start with Mass down there. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very pretty church. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So. Well, since they've redone it, yeah. Uh, and then uh, something to put on your radar is kind of uh, one of the first things that kicks off a very busy march. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're having a parish mission. Um, and... Uh, what do we mean, Father, by parish mission? Parish mission. We're going on a mission trip. No. Uh, parish mission, basically, because I guess they haven't had one in these parishes for a while. So basically what it means is we're going to have a priest come, and uh, there's going to be some sessions where he gives a talk. And it's kind of like an invitation to come and enter into Lent, because it'll be starting that first week of Lent, the day after Ash Wednesday. Um, so the Thursday through the Saturday. And... Um, parish missions are kind of a, instead of us going somewhere uh, uh, far away, we basically just come to the church uh, successive days in a row to to kind of be uh, inspired, to be um, influenced, to be drawn deeper in our faith. So there's different forms, and they kind of take 
different kind of uh, ways in which you can organize them. But we're going to have some some of the days we'll have day sessions. So uh, not Thursday, but Friday and, and Saturday we'll have a day session. So people who don't want to go out at night or maybe who aren't free in the evening can come. And then the, the evenings will be... Um, you know, for those who work and so forth or just can't get away. So the evening sessions will be at St. Lawrence. The day sessions will be at Holy Family. And more information to come about that. We're going to be mailing out a little sort of, what would you call it, a refrigerator? Like a, yeah, postcard, save, save the date. Save the date sort of thing, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's coming up. So mark your calendars. I've been telling people this is coming up. I'm trying to get people aware because it's like it's free. It's like here. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, it all comes to you. So you basically just have to show up and it's Lent. So so show up. You should show up. Yeah. Like this, <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. this is something we are going to do as a pair. So I'm hopeful that many people will make it a priority and say, we're going to we're gonna spend some days, the first three days of Lent doing this. So yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, well, this upcoming Saturday... Is uh, the anniversary of the the, the Roe v. Wade decision uh, that happened in 1973 that legalized abortion in the in the United States? Um, so that's you know kind of the day that uh, uh, that uh, we have kind of taken to to like look back and uh, and also like. Just, just make it an important day for us to, like, uh, pray and fast and so forth. Pray fast and talk and, about uh, the life issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, um, to, yeah, have a day where it's like, okay, we we need to like talk about this. We haven't, because uh, obviously it's still an issue in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, just idea of, uh, you know, pro life versus pro choice and and all of the, um complexities yeah the complexities with those and uh, and there's a lot in that too mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. um so that's something that we're going to talk about today and it's gonna be super fun <laughs> super fun and um put on your fun pants <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so so yeah we're, we're gonna kind of discuss some of this uh some of these ideas and uh well, we're, we're, we're talking about it a little bit before we started recording of uh, just like there's you know there's only so much that we can really talk about and and there's also like there's so much to this issue even just like on a political level that it's like we don't really even need to talk about that like if people if people want to get information they can go get information um but i think like for this episode we want to talk more about just like how do we like live our lives as everyday catholics to like be pro-life and what what does that mean and what kind of like mindset does that require? So that's like kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, before we do that, Father, could you open us in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we come to you today. Uh, we pray for our country. We pray for our nation as we approach this sad anniversary. Um, we pray for our parishioners. Um for all parishioners, wherever they're at on this issue. Obviously, there's people that believe this should be a right or a choice, and there's many others that recognize that this is um, not in accord with God's will. 
And so we pray for everyone, um, just praying that the Lord would open their hearts to the truth. Um, we pray for all women who are in difficult situations, who are unsure of how to how to go forward, how to choose life because of their circumstances. Um, I pray for our young people that they could be guided and, and helped and assisted to understand this issue um, in a deeper way. And Father, we, we ask your blessing on our conversation today. It may be helpful and inspired. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. Thanks, Father. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, abortion is a, is a pretty big issue in today's world and uh, very emotionally charged. Yeah, lightning, what do you call it, a lightning rod yeah. sort of issue where it's like, watch out. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think that, I think part of that is just because it has so many different, um, like, there, it's like a religious issue, it's a political issue, it's a, like, a personal issue. You know, there's very, uh, there's a lot of dynamics to it, yeah. uh, which does make it more complex. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I can see it being one of those issues too, where it's just like, uh, you know, you have one view and then, uh, until it like happens to you or you're like, you're in their shoes and it's just like, Oh, what would you do? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like it is, or what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is something too that I think it's, it's probably hard to, um, to really get into the other person's shoes, too. Yeah. Like yeah. when, like, uh, like even, like as you're kind of, like during your prayer, just thinking about like, yeah, so many, you know, women who probably aren't in good situations with the father of the child mm-hmm. or uh, economically mm-hmm. or and like having a kid is expensive you know mm-hmm. like there's so many parts to it yeah that make it uh i'm not married complicated um yeah i don't have the resources i don't have insurance there's all kinds of things right that come mm-hmm. into play yeah yeah it's a it's a challenging thing and i think that's one of the things we kind of talked about this before but uh we don't need to talk about whether abortion is right or wrong or is it a child or not a child. I think anybody that's listening to this podcast probably understands that already. Um, I don't think we're going to change anybody's mind in that regard, but it's something where we can explore how do we, what does it mean to be a culture of life and and to live a culture of life uh, as Catholics and promote that? Like, It's not just saying abortion is illegal. I mean, that's, and we kind of talked about this, it's the, the fruit of choices, right? That's the fruit of a, of a way of life. Uh, when you decide to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, or when you decide that there are priorities that supersede life, um, then you kind of develop a culture that says you need a pro-choice culture. We need to have choices here. We need to, it needs to be uh, something that I accept on my own terms that I want to, I want to behave in a certain way and then uh, deal with the results in a certain way. Um, 
And of course, there's all the always people always bring up the issues of like, what about rape or what about incest or what about these situations? Like, okay, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Like, how do we help women choose life for their child, and fathers support the the women, uh, the the mothers of their child? Um, how do we help people desire that and have that awareness so that it, it becomes just unthinkable to abort your child and it would never be a, a solution that, um, I mean, there was a time when that kind of was more the mentality. It's like, we gotta, we gotta have, we gotta have, it's a child. We gotta protect the, the child. Um, you know, over the course of history, there's always been abortions, you know, whether it's medically or, through drugs or whatever, there's there's been different ways over history in which people have aborted their children, or, or or infanticide is another thing that has been something over the course of history. But how do we how do we develop a culture that people don't see that as a solution? And that's kind of more effective than just saying this is illegal, this is wrong. I mean, we want we want it to be illegal in the sense of Nobody would choose it, but so it's it's a complicated thing because, like we were talking before, if suddenly it's illegal, that doesn't change all these people's hearts. That doesn't help them say, "I'm a pro-life person." We don't automatically become a pro-life country um, because it's illegal. We become a pro-life country when everybody in the country says, "I value life," and I would never think of doing that. So. Yeah. How do we develop that? How do we get people to live that way? It's Yeah, and I, like I think if if that were to happen to get to a point where we're a country that like respects all life, like it would happen it would have to happen in like on a religious level, on a I w- it would have to happen on a political level mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. Cuz we would need systems in place to support uh, mothers to support kids, right? Like, because th- th- there is like a real aspect. I, I, like, I think this is an argument. One of the arguments for like pro-choice is like, um, like, well, like, we can't pay for them, yeah. right? We, this um, child will have a terrible life because yeah. we can't support them. Yeah, and so like, there is there is some aspect that's like, yeah, we would have to, um, like, on a government level, figure that out. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how that how that happens, yeah. you know, but yeah. like. It's a big to, to to some extent, either on like a local or like like national government, we'd have to figure that out yeah, a little yeah. bit. And you you can see where you know right now nationally on the governmental level, um, there's a big there's a lot of funding for abortion. There's a lot of ways in which that culture is kind of supported. And if you redirected all those resources to care for children. You know, it, it would. Some of these things could change. Some of those things could be different. But um, it's a it's a totally different mindset. It's a mm-hmm. totally different way of thinking. It's a totally different way of approaching the problem of an unplanned pregnancy, an undesired child, if you want to put it in that way. Um, and that's a hard transformation. It's a hard change for people to make um, when. You have a large segment of the population that says this is a right. 
uh, it's not a child, or if it is a child, the mother's right supersedes the right of the child to live. So that whatever arguments are made, like there's a large group of people that that's how they are living and that's how they're thinking. So you can't, it's a it's like we can't just appeal to the the, the law and say now it's a illegal. That doesn't fix the problem. It maybe reduces the deaths, right? Or makes it harder for them to abort, but it doesn't change their hearts. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, what is, how does Christ approach someone? He doesn't, he doesn't come down on them and say, I'm going to make this illegal. I mean, he does, right? God gives us laws, but then when we break those laws or we fail in them, he meets us and, and try to, tries to draw us to himself. And so how do we as a church, how do we as Catholics kind of give that impression to culture rather than we just want to make it illegal. We want to, you know, we want people to suffer through having their children. I mean, that's sometimes I think the pro-choice side looks at the Catholics or the pro-life side and says, all you guys care about is that we don't abort our child, but you don't want to care for the child. You don't want to care for the mother. You don't want to provide ways for them to live a healthy and successful life, et cetera, et cetera. And there might be some truth to that. You know, there might be some mm -hmm. uh, such an emphasis on changing the law that we forget about helping the people. And, um, you know, some people might hear that and say, well, that sounds terrible, Father, that you would say that, that you're not for changing the law. And like, I'm for changing the law, but I'm also for changing people's hearts and winning souls for Christ, mm -hmm. not just... Um, just ramrodding something down somebody's throat because then in the end that's against our Christian dignity we have to freely engage in our decisions and our choices to hold on to our dignity um, and to be converted to Christ you can't forcibly convert somebody yeah and and I almost feel too like like if like we're not ready for the law to change I, you know, like, I don't think we're ready as a culture for abortion to be illegal. Like, like, it almost seems like that's one of the, like, like, that's one of, like, the last steps rather than, like, the first step. Yeah. Like. I mean, it's it's kind of the chicken or the egg sort of yeah, thing. Like, you've yeah. got to, some people would say, if you make it illegal, then things will change. And there might be some truth to that, right? If If it suddenly became illegal some of these systems would change and would have to change. And so maybe some people would approach it that way and say, that's the first step because then it forces change. It's kind of like the way government sometimes works. Like, mm -hmm. and you can look at how, for instance, all these laws about transgenderism, uh, homosexual marriage, like how that has changed in our country is the laws, right? They've changed the laws and then has slowly kind of eked its way into the rest of society and like and uh, that's kind of the, that was their approach and so you can see where the pro-lifers would say if we change the law it will change the culture and it would but if you think about like how do we as Catholics feel about the law of homosexual marriage being the law of the land how do we feel about like it doesn't change my heart it doesn't make me say oh now I'm okay with it now I'm now I'm just fine with it it's like no, it's like we we feel saddened by that. We feel frustrated by that. We, we feel angered by that injustice. And so, you know, looking at it from that 
perspective? It needs to be a completer answer than just changing the law. Yeah. So it's like the abortion, as you kind of said, is the, the fruit of the culture that we live in. And we need to change the root of the culture so that the fruit growing from the tree changes. It's not just... Uh, so if, if we were able to change the culture, then abortion wouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. You you know, even if it was legal, it wouldn't be happening if we had the right culture. So it wouldn't matter if it was legal or not. So, yeah. Yeah. Which that's harder. Mm -hmm. Much harder. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And there's, the, there's other aspects to being pro-life too. Right. Right. Rather than, um, just abortion, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much, we have to like talk about that um but but yeah there's there's so many other parts to it you know when we think about conception until natural death like mm -hmm. that's um which again i think this is some of the like argument that pro-choice people use is like you just care about getting them born you don't care about them after mm -hmm. which like you said there might be some merit to that uh like comment right mm -hmm. um and so it's kind of like, okay, well, what does until natural death look like, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, there's so many, uh, like, there's so much else, like, out there uh, where, uh, like, even just looking at, um, like, suicide rates and then, um, like, when, when people get up in age and, like, start looking at, like, assisted, assisted suicide or, like, euthanasia. Like, like there's all this stuff, too, that... Um, and we even see it kind of in our parishes, too, that when people... Uh, when the elderly, like, get sick and go into, a, like, a nursing home, it's kind of like we lose contact with them a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. unless they have a family member that, like, lets us know, it's... it's To a certain extent, it's, it's pretty easy to, like, be forgotten. Right. And mm -hmm. so... Um, so that there's that aspect too that like we have to be better as I mean as a culture in general, but I think specifically the church. Yeah. What we can kind of kind of control is like okay, how do we like really uh, be? How do we be present to all these people yeah. and their needs so that they they choose life for themselves and for their family members, etc. So, um, as you mentioned, I mean. I don't know if it's going to be a generational thing or not, but I, what I s have seen as a priest is there's our, our society has built a lot of like nursing homes and care facilities and these kinds of things. And people go there now. And I, I think some, and somewhat the people that are going there now or the generation that built all these things thinking we're going to need these facilities and, and our parents needed them and so forth. But it, 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 we didn't used to have all these facilities. You basically kept your grandparents in your home. Your parents took care of your of their parents, and you took care of your parents. And it was just kind of a generational thing. Like we don't just send them off to somewhere; we take care of them. Um, and yeah, the life expectancy was less, right? Because when you care for somebody in their home, there's not as many options. But the quality of life maybe was different. You know, I see lots and lots and lots of people that I visit in the nursing homes that nobody visits them. They are, for all intents and purposes, forgotten. They're lonely. They're depressed. They're, uh, they feel disconnected, even from one another these days because of COVID. They're, 
they're very isolated. And um, so you can see why somebody might say, why do I live this way? And you even hear faithful Catholics say, I am ready to go. I, why isn't the Lord taking me? So sometimes we preserve life artificially in a way that maybe is unhealthy because it's like we're, we're preserving the life, the body, but we don't feed the soul. We don't care of the person, the whole person, the body and soul. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a. It'll be interesting to see, like, like our generation, or your generation, my generation, um, even uh, those younger. Will they choose uh, a different way to approach the aging process because of what they see their parents and grandparents mm-hmm. going through? I mean, I don't want to go to a nursing home. The way the more I visit them, the more yeah. I'm like, I don't want to. Like, yeah. I'd rather just, you know, if I'm going to die earlier, that's okay with me. Like. I'll get sick and I'll die and that's okay. I don't, I don't, you don't need to put me on like a feeding tube or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, so I don't know. You you can see that there's different ways of approaching things and our society wrestles with things. And right now there seems to be like uh, a desire on the one hand, it's kind of like two extremes. You have on the one hand, like preserve life at all costs. Like mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the quality of life is, preserve it. And the other side, it's like I I can I should choose I should be able to choose whenever I want to end my life. So you have kind of like these two competing or sort of different ways, but they kind of both come from this maybe misunderstanding of what life is about, or you know we don't have to cling to the end of life. Like we don't have to hold on to life with such fear of dying mm-hmm. that we. We don't just say, well, if I get pneumonia and die, that's okay, you know? That's okay if that's the way I go. I don't need to be preserved and put on drugs and all these things to keep me from dying. Like, I'm ready to go. It's okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's a a balance there for having, like, yeah, for not, like, white-knuckling, like, holding on to life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, not, like, just wanting to die either yeah right just just like deciding i'm going mm -hmm. to die yeah and and i mean i guess i i don't totally know what the like how things like change like morally or ethically when you get to like a certain age or to like a certain sickness like because like I, i can see there being a point where it's like okay if you're if you have like some disease or have like cancer or something and it's like terminal then uh but uh then like at, like at what point is it like oh i'm gonna try this very like you know special surgery or sure. to, to, to to see if i can continue living or just be like you know what this is uh like this is just my time Mm-hmm. right um and then like when you get older too like i'm just thinking about like my grandma who she passed away last march i believe and she had alzheimer's and she was in a like a memory care facility mm-hmm. and it was a very good one mm-hmm. and she was there for like 10 years right. which is a very long time for right. someone with like with alzheimer's to right. uh to like continue her life and her like i mean her body like towards the end it was starting to kind of give up on her a little bit but like her body for the most part was fine. It was just like her mind. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but if she wasn't in that facility, she probably would not have lasted 
nearly as long as she did. And so um, it was like, like, okay, like where do we as like Catholics and pro-life people, like where's the balance between, yeah, like obviously her quality of life probably wasn't very great for most of those years. Um, So like where's the balance between like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Difficult. That's that's so, a. I I think, to engage these questions though, rather than just assuming like this methodology is, is okay. Like, rather than assuming like, yeah, we need to preserve life at all costs, or rather than pres- presuming that I can just end my life whenever I want, mm-hmm. like. That is the wrong mindset, right? It's it's not. It's not upholding the dignity of the person um and i think that's a struggle that we in our modern society don't always get right and i i think it's just worth conversation about you know it's worth discussing about with our family and our parents and everybody like what do you want that to look what do you want the dying process to look like for you like what how do you envision that and uh having those conversations so that when we're there and not that you can't change your mind or not that you can't say, well, I, I would like to receive treatment for my cancer or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. just want to go down with the ship right now. There's something I want to still do. You know, we don't, we shouldn't criticize people for wanting to receive cancer treatment or yeah, yeah. treatment for their illnesses. That's fine. But again, uh, does it get to the point where it's like, I actually don't want to be kind of preserved from death because I'm ready, you know? So anything that comes along and takes me out or whatever, like, that's okay for me. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, do we get to that point in our lives? Maybe not everybody does, but maybe, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be someday, if I live long enough, I'll be an old priest and I won't have a family, like children and grandchildren um to care for me so what am i preserving why am i worried about this like i've i've lived my life i've served as well as i can for as long as i could and now it's time for me to transition from this life to the next and to be okay with that and not be like i just need to soak up every last second i need to be here for as long as possible um you know I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe my mindset will change as I age, but yeah, it'd be an interesting conversation with with people as as they just wrestle with this. Like, what what is the right way to approach this? And I I would just say the Catholic way is to uphold the dignity of the person at all costs, mm-hmm. and that could look different for different people according to the situation. Yeah. It's not just a this or that sort of thing. And and you use the word like like artificial. And I think that's like like natural versus artificial. I mm-hmm. think that might be part of the key there too. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Just like, okay, are we artificially like like keeping the life going when there's also like not life happening? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And I, don't, I guess I come back to this issue of putting people in facilities I mean, there are times when it's like, well, we don't have the capability to take care of this person. Mm-hmm. But 
I see a lot of people who are capable of living life, but they are kind of alone because they've been put away in some facility or place. It usually starts off as assisted living. And even if they just are living in an independent place, but it's kind of like an old folks home kind of place and they, they kind of live life amongst themselves, like the people in the old folks home develop friendships and there's yeah. companionship and it's good in that sense. But it's like they're off on their own world. Like there was a place in my former assignment that was kind of like that. It was like this own little world and nobody came in. Nobody, I mean, there were people that visited and so forth. So it wasn't completely like off by itself. But there were many people there that never had visitors or very seldom had visitors and it was a great facility. They did a really good job of taking care of the residents. They, and they had like all levels. They had memory care, they had independent, they had uh, assisted. So they, they did a really good job of taking care of the people. And I think most of the people there seemed really happy. Um, but there's something in my mind that says, but it's sad if you don't interact with the rest of society. Like you don't have young people there, for instance, other than the staff. Mm -hmm. You don't have um, sort of this generational, um, what's the word, integration or, or complementarity or whatever. You know, I can think of there's a sacrifice to having a grandparent live in the home, right? Because now we got to take care of grandma. We're not as free to go do things or whatever. We got to find out find a way to take care of her. But there's also an enrichment that comes from that. And a, you can think of like a child that grows up in a home with a grandparent. Like they are able to relate to old people because they grew up with one, you know. They don't have this kind of fear or whatever. And same for the old person. They're, they're able to have this connection to the generations below them. And right now I feel like we don't really necessarily have that in our society. There's a lot of times I feel like people feel disconnected from the generations. I even feel it sometimes, like those older than me and those younger than me, like we don't always interact a lot in a, in a healthy way. So I don't know if, if that's just me or if other people feel that, but. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 would, I would agree with that, that like intergenerational uh, like mix isn't uh, very prominent. And I would probably say that the Catholic Church is probably one of the few like intergenerational institutions, right? Like right. that still exist. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a, a lot of other churches are more generationally like segregated, right? Um, when you look at some of the more like non-denominational like Christian churches, like yeah. they're all kind of the same. It's a community of people in the same state of life. Yeah, you know, yeah. which which isn't necessarily all bad right sure um but you lose a richness yeah 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 and just thinking about like um which may, maybe one uh s like an argument people would, would use against the catholic church right now is just like oh well there's no people under a certain age you know there's not a lot of youth mm -hmm. and it, i mean it kind of depends where you go and yeah. the city and all that stuff but um but at the same time like going into like a mass like you probably will see people in all different states of life right 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 um and that's a, that's a beautiful thing when when we see that we're all together all different stages of life i mean not that we have anybody that comes here that i'm aware of but you'd see somebody in a wheelchair or has a walker 
and then you see a newborn baby. So you have the whole spectrum, mm-hmm. and um, there's something beautiful about that. And if it's a true community, that if we could know each other and interact on a healthy level, rather than kind of being like, oh, it's that group in the parish, and then it's this group in the parish, and you know. So sometimes I think we have those intergenerational tensions, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's always been a thing, but um, we've kind of gone a little off tra- track from the pro-life thing, but it's it's a, I think this issue or these issues are kind of at the root of it, or they're related to the root of it anyway. If we v- valued each other in a different way and saw each other in a different way, we would approach life differently. And I think that's what the Catholic Church strives for. We don't always accomplish, but, um, and that's how we change people's lives. That's how we change culture, um, not just changing the law. The law is good because it supports something and it uh, sort of encourages a certain behavior. But someone who's pro-choice, how are they ever going to become pro-life? They have to experience the goodness of a pro-life culture. They have to experience the forgiveness, the mercy, the the love, the um, care for those in need. They need to see pro-choice or pro-life people taking care of mothers who are uh, in difficult situations. They need to see like an orphanage or something where that these children can go and be cared for and loved and, and have a a quality life and so forth. They need to see uh, aging people that are happy and are cared for by their families. Like when you see these kinds of things, it makes you say, "Oh, this is possible. It is possible to to live this way and to have a fulfilling life." I think what drives the pro-choice is the fear. Like, I can't take care of this child. I don't. I don't have a way to to provide for them. I'm not ready to be a mother. I'm not ready to be a father. I'm not ready for this. So you, it's fear that drives that. So what we need to help them experience and witness is those fears being removed. And as you have said, that's a much harder thing to accomplish, right? But it's in like, in like all things of Catholicism, the Catholic Church, we strive for the heights. We don't say, well, this is difficult, so we're not going to do it. It's like, this is true. This is what we're called to do. We're going to try to do this, even if we do it poorly. A, a G.K. Chesterton quote, another one comes to mind, is um, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So maybe we're not doing a great job, but we're trying to do it, right? And hopefully we'll get better at it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a big project, but it's what we're called to. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a great kind of closing thought of just like yeah yeah this is what uh, this is how we're supposed to live right is uh i mean not only just as people striving to be pro-life but as christians right Right. and so um so yeah that's kind of like something we can take away it's just like and even like a challenge like okay like is this how we like how do i view uh life in general and like how to like like what what can i do mm-hmm. to just change my heart right because that's kind of like 
the root of all of it is like we need to change hearts, but we need to, need to change our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it starts. So, yeah, great. Well, yeah, thanks, Father Eli, and uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, <laughs> we <laughs> kind of rambled on there. Yeah, yeah, we 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 rambled on a little bit, and not totally sure if we uh, got off track, but um, uh, but we were joking uh, before we started this that like oh, if this goes bad, maybe we just won't do one this week. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think it turned out. Yeah. Uh, I you, think. You I tell think, us what you think. I think we we got across what we were looking for, um, and so so yeah yeah. Th- thank you all for listening, and uh, yeah, we hope you have a great rest of your day, and we will catch you again next time.